Welcome to episode 31 of the Bike Pack Canada podcast with yours truly, Ryan Corey. Happy Canada Day, eh? Uh, I'm currently south of the border uh, where there's uh, nothing Canada Day going on at all. Um, on my way through uh, to Missoula, Montana last night, um, I made a small detour to a great divide gem that many of us know. Um, really kind of warm and uh, friendly uh, interview a town with a lot of character I uh, was really looking forward to experiencing it outside of uh, the tour divide race capacity um, so yeah please uh, sit back and enjoy my chat with uh, Kathy from the Blackfoot Angler we are in um, the town of uh, Ovando uh, Montana how, how many residents are in population in a good year 65 <laughs> 65 and you know the blackfoot angler here is in downtown Ovanda, which you can i don't you can see just right here yeah it's three businesses four businesses and trixie's up on the hill and that is all we have so is it safe to assume then that the businesses in the area, that's pretty much where everyone works, or do people work outside of town? We're a ranching community, so a lot of people work on the ranches or, you know, in some capacity. Yeah. Um, back in before 2000, the only business was across the street, and that was the inn and the grocery store or mm-hmm. little market. And the owners at that time came to my husband, Travis, and I and said, have you guys ever thought of opening a fly shop? And we said, no. And they said, well, how about thinking about it? Yeah. And we did, and that was 17 years ago, and people came, and then the Stray Bullet opened up, and more people came, and the Blackfoot Challenge, which is a conservation organization, opened up, and more people came, and um, now we're known as the little town that refuses to die. So I I know nothing about the the history of Ovando. Like, I'm assuming it's been around for for quite a while. It's been around since around the 1860s. Um, At that time, there was over 1,100 people living here. And it had two banks, a lot more saloons, you know, barber shops. It had everything. And it was going to be a hub in a railroad that was going to come through here. Well, it never came through here. And then around early 1900s, there was a fire that took out probably two-thirds of the town. So the old buildings you see are what's left of the fire. And with that, people started leaving. And so we're down to 65. And now we have definitely kind of turned a curve in here. Uh, Fly fishermen started coming in, and then we started embracing the cyclists with Tour Divide about five years ago. And that has really benefited us to no end because... Now we get a lot of cyclists either doing, you know, Lewis and Clark or the Tour Divide or like these two gentlemen that just left. They're just going around on the on the highways from one end to the other. And uh, had a guy a couple of years ago that started off at the tip of South Africa or excuse me, South America and was going all the way up to Alaska. And so he had to stay here for a couple of days, of course. So it's um, it's been awesome, you know. A lot of little towns like this that are off the highway that um, don't have a large population, they just dry up and blow away in the wind. And we're fighting that with everything we have, and I think we're getting pretty successful at it. Well, first, well, you're a fly fishing shop. Is that what you consider yourself? Like you call yourself the angler? Definitely, we started off as a fly fishing shop. Uh, We have a little bit of spinning, but for the most part, it's all flies and everything that has to do with fly fishing. 
rods and reels, and that's what we started off as. And then we just started, uh, we brought in the cyclist. We have a little corner for cycling emergencies. We have tires and tubes and lube and a lot of stuff. I have no idea what it is, but the riders get very excited if they need it. Hammer Nutrition also. We got Hammer Nutrition. I yeah, carried them for four or five years now. They've been really good to me. Uh-huh. So, because there's some things I want that probably aren't, you know, readily available, like the seat savers. Okay. The guys want. I started handing out the first year some of the, um, what are they? Not examples, but the little example pack. Yeah. Yeah. Samples and. Uh, the, the guys just love those little sizes. Yeah. So they're really good about selling me the samples <laughs> to sell. So, yeah, so they've been good to me. So I know the, I know the, the hills quite well. So you have, I'm trying to remember here, it's, so coming from Holland Lake, you go over Richmond, Richmond, Richmond Ridge. Yeah. Yeah. And um, then, you, yeah, you kind of slowly make your way down into town. And then after this, is it Huckleberry? Huckleberry is between us and Lincoln. Yeah. Okay. So Huckleberry is so, the next one. Right. Okay. So that. Yeah. So I know I know the 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 climbs pretty well, but I have no concept of. Obviously, there's a pretty well known river for for fly fishing nearby. Is it the Blackfoot? Oh, jeez, yes, it's the Blackfoot. <laughs> yeah. Made famous in that movie, and then you know Norman McLean's a river runs through it. Is it? Yes. Oh, geez. Now yes. to, I was wondering. There's so there's behind us. There's a river runs through a poster. I I just assumed it was you had it up because it was fly fishing, but I I forgot it does take yeah, place no, in Montana. It, when you read the book and you look at the movie, it's all about the Blackfoot and some of the areas that were Norman McLean's favorite places are right behind us on the Blackfoot. However, when they filmed the movie thirty some odd years ago, the Blackfoot was a dead river due to gold mining at the headwaters. Yeah. So they couldn't film it here. Plus, so Vanda was really not prepared to take on 500 people, you know, filming. Yeah. So it was not filmed here. But because of the really bad condition that it was in, the big Blackfoot chapter, Trout Unlimited, was formed. And they have since then restored every creek, every irrigation, every ditch, every little piece of water that comes through here goes through a restored, you know, channel now. Yeah. And uh, it's really, it's coming along as a really good river again. So is it is it behind us? Yeah, where we are. Okay, it's against those mountains right behind us. Okay, so folks that come in, um, you know, looking for supplies, do like do they just kind of walk down the hill? Or? No, it's not that easy. It's no. called private property. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot of fishing accesses along the highway, so they just have to find where the one is. And then once you're on the river and you stay below the high water mark, you can walk from one end of this river to the other as long as you stay below the high water mark. Huh. And um, for the most part, this area around here, is, there's a lot of floating. You know, people take inflatable or hard boats down and uh, because there's this really nice thing called the Box Canyon behind us. So walking would be difficult because it's a canyon with yeah. big steep walls on it. So, now, in fact, Norman McLean's son still comes out here to go fishing. <laughs> That's funny you didn't know about the Blackfoot. <laughs> No, well, you, I'm, like, I'm sorry, you're Canadian. I got to remember this stuff. Well, you, actually, where I live um, in uh, Canmore, we have uh, the Bow River. Canmore? Yeah. You guys have got this thing called climbing. Yeah. My husband's yeah. a wicked rock climber, and we vacationed in Canmore one time. 
The Bow River is mm-hmm. big for that. I keep telling Josh. I think so. We have a, a summit in uh, September, like it's a weekend thing where we started getting all the bike packers together. And I think Josh is going to bring up his fly fishing gear this time. Oh, cool! In fact, the last time we were up there climbing the Bow River, I think it flooded Calgary. Was, was, was this 2013? I think so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that that year, I said we did our supported tour, and we ended up coming through Ovanda. I think it was the same year. You were coming into Ovanda, and we were going into Canmore. <laughs> you guys have also got the best dog park I've ever seen in my life. The Quarry Quarry Lake. Yeah. Yeah. My dog loved it. Cool. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So we, we've learned a little bit about fly fishing. I'm, I'm not going to get into fly fishing because it's just this is okay. that's like a whole that's a whole other conversation, and I I just don't even know what questions to ask. But I I'm I think it's a it's a very peaceful. It's very zen like. Yeah. It looks like something I should do. do you, it's you. You're always moving. It's not like when you're just fishing in a lake or something, and you're jigging or you know worm drowning or whatever. You're just waiting. This is very almost romantic because you're always moving yeah. and um, you're being one with the fish. So, no, it's a, it started in England and it's gotten extremely popular out here right now. So, it's, yeah, you should try it because if you like the outdoors, it goes hand in hand. So, is this a Montana thing or is it just kind of this general region? Oh, it's a Montana thing. Okay. Now, Montana's got, we've got the Blackfoot, and then there's other really big places, you know, uh, Big Hole, um, Madison, Jefferson, because um, Meriwether Lewis, well, Lewis and Clark came down here. Right. And so they used these waterways, and when they hit the Pacific, then Clark took the Clark Fork, which is why it's named after him, and Meriwether Lewis took the Blackfoot back up. And in fact, uh, about four miles down the river um, is where he camped overnight and if you saw the sign it says Montour Creek yeah. he actually named it Seaman's Creek after his dog at the time and that was you know over 200 years ago and I think that's where they had their first little altercation with the Blackfeet Indian hmm. but at least they at least got to talk to some of them but yeah they, they spent the night just four miles from here wow cool alright well, well let's get back okay, to back uh, to topic the, the fun the the the, well, the, the the more applicable stuff, the Great Divide Route. So you said you started getting into it about five years ago. So, like, how does that happen? Do you did you know the route was coming through here? Did someone make you aware of it? Like, it was did, when it, you know, at the beginning of the tour divide, there was what maybe ten, eleven, twenty, thirty people coming through. And to be honest with you, we really didn't notice it. Yeah, it was just bikers coming through. Hello, goodbye. Um, then five years ago, we got a call from somebody in Sealy Lake about a lady from Ohio who was last in line going Sobo. She had been extremely sick with edema. She was scared. And was there anything we could do because she was heading into Ovando? And if there was anything we could do for her, it would be greatly appreciated. And it was like, wow, that when you, you think about being out in the wilds like this and you're from Ohio – you're not used to Montana wildlife, and to sit there and do this all by yourself, that was incredible for us. So we thought, okay, we can do this. Stray Bullet made a sack dinner. We got the sheep wagon out there fixed up. That's all we had at the time was one sheep wagon, and we left a big note on a board saying, 
you know, this is for you. We heard about your dilemma and we're here to help you. Um, you've got beer, water, and dinner inside and um, good luck to you. If there's anything else you need, just let us know. She got in about 8 o'clock that night, and one of the neighbors watched her read the note and just burst into tears. She was so grateful, and she stuck around the next day thanking everybody. And I remember we all got together and go, man, that felt good, you know, helping somebody like that. That felt really good. And that's where it started snowballing. It was like, what else can we do? These people are coming through, and there's more every year, and they come through sick. They come through tired. They come through totally wiped out. And they want to quit here and now. And, and yes, Matthew, we have been chastised, uh, you know, once or twice. Had our little hand slap for helping too much. Well, too much trail magic. Well, you know, the thing is, is that we always tell everybody what we do for one, we do for all. And they can be TDR riders or like these guys that were doing street riding. You know, we're helping them find a place to settle down. Um, We help motorcyclists. We help anybody. You know, it's just, it's a small town. That's what we do. And so we started finding out that these guys could use a shelter. Well, we started working hand-in-hand with Adventure Cycling out of Missoula. I said, what can we do that's legal, that follows the rules, and yet can be helpful? And uh, they said, look at Three Forks, see what they've done. But these, you know, if you could provide any shelter for these guys, that would be great. So we had the sheep wagon, and uh, then we brought in the teepee, and uh, we put cots in the teepee. And that lasted two years until a storm Blew it to pieces. Um, Sasquatch could have walked in there without ducking. And um, and then we moved the the jail up um, and basically put you know re, refurbished it and put two rope beds in it. And we charge five bucks on the honorary system. There's a little donation. And sometimes we get five bucks. Sometimes we get twenty. Sometimes I get Canadian quarters. Yeah. That. You know, I'm going to give to you before you leave. You can get. They're just paperweights. So, you know, but it was the the donations just kept coming in, and sometimes people would just be happy and donate something, and it allowed us to buy a new teepee yeah. two years ago. And so every time we get money, it goes into like this year it went to a webcam so that people at home could watch their, you know, their friends come through, and that turned into um, that was a lot of fun. And I had to turn the sound off because I started getting quoted. Uh, which so the, be dangerous. The, that I'm just going to move this a little closer. Sure. That the webcam was started just for the rays. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty special. Well, and it, now it's going to stick around because I've got people who always say, "What does Ovanda look like in the winter?" So it'll it'll stick around. But yeah, we brought it out. I think it was um, a female writer. One of the really good ones. What year? Oh, several years back, but she's, I mean, she goes cross-country all the time. Is this Lael? Not Lael. Might have been Lael, yeah. From Alaska? Anyway, she came by and I couldn't get her picture. And so she starts sending me emails about, we need to fix this. Because if you're not here to take pictures, how does anybody know if they actually made it through? (laughs) And she had a friend was going to make a photo booth. And I'm going, okay, that's... That's not, you know, I don't, how are we going to do this? And um, so finally it was like a webcam would work. Yeah. So like when Josh came in at 5.03, people could see that he had actually come through. And the plus I can take a snapshot off the video. Yeah. And um, so it worked out really nice. And when Billy Rice came through this year and unfortunately had to drop, um, you know, due to pneumonia, apparently there was a lot of people watching that event because they saw his dot coming in. 
and I had the two Sheilas who had to drop earlier, and the Billy Chilton, all from Texas, just so happened to be here at the time. And so they thundering applause of all the Texans coming in, and he threw his hat up and said, I'm out due to pneumonia. And it was afterwards I heard a lot of people say, man, we watched the whole thing on the webcam. Can't believe it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it allowed people to actually experience some of these things on their own without just, you know, somebody's story in a photo. So I, I hear these um, warm and heartfelt stories and the community coming together, and I, I've read about them. But my experience with Ovando, so the, the, the two times I've raced, I've, I think I've come through around midnight both times. And the first time I had no clue. I, had, I didn't know anything about Ovando. And uh, I remember coming down off the last pass, like hungry and, and tired. And I'm like, oh, this little town, it's right on the road. There's bound to be like a service station or something. It's going to be open. Like there's going to be something. Dude, there's 65 of us. We have yeah, to sleep. I, <laughs> this, this is like early days of the race, right? Like yeah. and I, there wasn't as much information as there is now. Yeah. And there's, you know, even now, if you show up at midnight, you're probably going to be going through a very quiet dark town because we just don't have anything that's 24 hours yeah so i yeah i rolled into town i quickly realized that it was a lot smaller than i was <laughs> thinking it would be and that all the services were pretty much centralized around here <laughs> what, what would you call this like a square or? i don't we call it downtown downtown which okay the joke in itself yeah so there's the the little hotel on the there's, is there a restaurant in there or something? I don't know. They just it's a little store. Okay, so store and in the stray bullet, and then uh, yourselves and all the windows were dark and all the clothes signs were on and were um, up and I said, okay, well, I'm going to be going hungry for a while. And I, I remember I pulled out my uh, bivy sack and slept. I believe it was behind the the post office. Yep. Yeah. So slept under there, and then uh, in 2015 when I came through, again right, right around midnight um, with kind of the lead riders, I slept I think on someone's front lawn, just just up the way here, and uh, because there there was bodies piling out of the the, the horse cart over here, and the teepee was full, and oh, it, on some nights, especially if the weather's foul, I mean I've come to work and. They've had everybody stuffed everywhere. In fact, in tents everywhere. It's just, yeah, it's it looks like a oh, homeless encampment. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it does. But you, you, know. you guys embrace. It sounds like you embrace this, though, right? Like, cause oh, definitely. Part, part of me was kind of worried when I showed up and just set up like on the grass there. I no, it's fine. In fact, we've had people, and when it was really bad weather, they've they've slept in the the post office lobby. Yeah, and because nobody really uses it, and it's warm anyway. No, in fact, what was it, two years ago, it was raining so bad, I think 20 cases of hypothermia came in because it was 47 degrees and raining, and everybody around here opened up their garages and said, if they can't go on, you know, tell them they can come over and sleep in my garage. Um, I had a lady who was actually on her way to Goodwill with nothing but old uh, winter clothes because they'd gone through all their closets, and she looked at these dripping bicyclists, and just put them outside, and she goes, I think you guys could use this more than Goodwill right now. And within five minutes, there wasn't anything to be had. And they all got returned the next day, and we washed them. And so we've always got, you know, some warm clothes that we put out 
for those inclement days. So, in fact, one of the ladies that showed up in that year, literally was her hands were gripped on her handlebar so tight, and all she could say was freezing Ovando, freezing Ovando. And she fell off. I mean, her bicycle just keeled off, and we peeled her off her bike and got her into the inn. And another lady and I got her, got her wet clothes off of her and wrapped her in uh, quilts. And she was shaking so hard, you know, it was holding, you know, hot tea for us to sip out of yeah. and that's how we kind of left her. and I'm going man you know people are going you really should need to take her prior to the hospital and it's like she's going no 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 and five hours later she emerged after you know just warming up in a hot shower I didn't recognize her and she came in second place female that year wow so so if you do end up needing to go to the hospital is, is Missoula is that Missoula the, yeah, yeah closest okay um same with the airport and we have a river shuttle business that does quite well sometimes with TDR riders because they, after hours, will shuttle them to Missoula to the airport or, or yeah, mostly the airport. <laughs> yeah, if they're pulling the plug. <laughs> yeah. they. This is sort of a little area that people can, they will pull the plug. It's like, I got this far and I can't do it anymore. The Achilles um, had a guy in here with Shermer's neck this year. Second yeah. time, five years, we've had Shermer's neck. That little-known, bizarre, cyclist-centric, I can't hold my head up anymore. Yeah. And uh, he actually, I think, made it to Lincoln this year and had to pull the plug because he, I mean, we're threatening to, you know, duct tape his head to his back. Yeah. But, um, you know, a lot of people have to pull it here. Yeah, it's it's tough when you get to a, a highway intersection and the prospect of being kind of out in the back 40 for another you know, day and a half, two days with whatever condition that's, you know, you get sucked back into the, the, the conveniences and the warmth and the, the food and it's hard. It's a hard decision for, I mean, we've had more people. In fact, one of the guys, I think, you know, he had to pull again, but we do a lot of mothering for these guys who are soul searching and they're, they're just going, can't, you know, you can't do this anymore. Yeah. You know, you're young this year, you're a rookie this year, you know, just look forward because you will be back. Look at the average age. This year it was 45 was the average age, and there was a ton of 50-year-olds, you know, and the winter was 35. I mean, come on, when you're in your 20s and early 30s, there's a lot of time for you to keep doing this. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's when sometimes you just got to try and talk these guys out of hurting themselves even more, yeah. especially with some of the injuries and the pulled muscles and the edema. That's scary stuff right there. So my perception of the, the weather and things was that it had kind of just, the skies had kind of opened up as people were getting down to this section of the route. So they'd been dealing with a lot of rain and, and mud, well, north of, all, pretty well all north of here. Does that sound right? Like it started yeah, to it, open up? It, um we had a lot of muddy riders come in, not as bad as I think like 2012, 2013, but then right after that, things got really nice weather. And, uh, you know, let's face it, Mike Hall got really lucky last year. He had good weather practically the whole time. No fires, no no cocoa reroutes. Uh, so that's, you know, that was really nice for not a lot of mud. But this year, some of the mud came back. The snow was still on Richmond Ridge a little bit. Um, that on a decent year, Richmond Ridge will take out some of the best athletes you can imagine. Yeah. So, including Alex Harris from South Africa, um, he 
punch hole through the snow a few years ago, and that guy's a seven summiter. He's done Everest. Yeah. And Richmond Ridge did him in. Yeah. And he had to go home. So. Yeah, you're, we're, we're, I've said it in one of the previous podcasts, I think, but with um, bikepacking, like, especially when you're newer at it, like, you, you think to train on a bike, and that's good, but you don't really think to train hiking. Yeah, and, that's true. And one of the most <laughs> common injuries that, and I've experienced it firsthand, is Achilles yes. from uh, overstretching and, um, you know, especially those snowy passes where you're, there's a lot of instability. That's, yeah, one of the things you, you would never expect. No, you're you're right. They, the hiking part and carrying your, your bicycle over a lot of places, we do get a lot of muscle Achilles, like you said. I know um, ice bags are very, you know, much under demand at the restaurants. Yeah. Um, I've got a lot of pictures of the guys with their legs up in ice packs in various parts of their anatomy, trying to just get the swelling down so they can continue. And uh, there's even Ben from Belgium, when he was here, he was uh, what first place when he first got here before he was having bike problems. Uh, I had to laugh at him because he said, you really need to train differently for this race. <laughs> and go and he goes i don't think i trained enough yeah and uh he, so even the guys who've been doing it all over the world the tdr will bust them up good yeah so the the vibe this year did you get the sense that well well new route through canada much tougher route did you get the sense people were a little more worn down by the time they got to this point, a little less prepared? Like, were there any stories in that regard that jump out at you? The reroute was pictured as epic, and for most not in a good way. But the true traditionalist TDR people that have done this over and over again, the ones that have been training, they thought that it was a challenge to be met. And I know those are some of the people that don't want to see it go away. Yeah. Um, they want it to be tough. They don't want this to be a lark. They, they want this to be the hardest race in the world. Yeah. And I think the cocoa kind of did some of that to people, especially when it was raining, there was a waterfall going down the road. But, mm. uh, for most part, yeah, I don't think there was one person I talked to, uh, that said it was fun. Yeah, anyone that's been following my uh, Instagram the past week, I uh, one of the rides I did um, as I made my way down here was to check out the that route. So from Elkford to <laughs> Fernie, and it was it was dry for me. It was it was sunny. It was nice conditions. Like I didn't have to contend with that. And um, I came away from, especially the first hike a bike you do. It, it took hours to get up Coco or I can't remember what it's called like hours it was it was grueling and i came away from that experience thinking that i think this might be the toughest section on the whole route so in future years if matthew keeps it in you might be seeing less people making it to Ovando. well and that's where that's where your hiking is going to have to come in because you can't ride it it's picking up your bicycle from the pictures i saw and from what they were telling me it's all rock yeah and it's it's not easy it's like baby head sized rock that yeah sharp I was saying to my wife, you're, you're always like on the verge of rolling your ankles and, you know, one step up, two steps down. Like it's, it's tough. And then combined with the fact that now you've bypassed, um, 
um, for, or uh, Sparwood and um, Elkford as your restock points. That's you got to carry food for like two days for some of these some people. Major planning now. Yeah. Yep. So I know that they still want this to be a real soul searching race for everybody that goes through, which is why we're told to settle down sometimes. Yeah. Um, I know when some things happen, you know, I get phone calls from, from the organizers like, okay, so how, how did this scenario happen? And they're just checking to make sure it was all legal and it bites by the rules. Yeah. And so far every one of them has. So, you know, I keep saying it, you know, we didn't help too much. I swear you can ask anybody. (laughs) So, um, no, they want this to be gut-wrenching, soul-searching, tough endurance that when you have finished, you really felt like you have done something incredible that not a lot of human beings could do. Yeah, and when you finish, you'll never want to do it again until six months later. I was going to say, every single person that says, I'm never doing this again, I'll get an email probably within a week to a couple months saying, see you in 2018. (laughs) Yeah. Well, when I, when I raced with uh, Josh back in 2015, the year that he won it, when we came through here, we were on a 12-day pace and, you know, stopping at midnight and getting going again at like 3 in the morning. And it was brutal. <laughs> and it it's, yeah, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. And, you know, you, it takes about six months, I think, for all like the injuries and you know, to get over the, the financial costs and, and then you start, you know, like playing in your head, well, what could I have done better? And it never gets easier though. You only get faster and it only gets harder in different ways. Yeah. And and I think some of the mechanicals that are happening with the bicycles are making it, but it's okay. JP, he left two days or later than everybody else and came in what? Seventh place, sixth place. Yeah. What did he have that um, that allows that to happen? I, he blew me away. I yeah. mean, I was just watching him. He's just passing everybody he left on Sunday instead of Friday. Yeah. And I know he still would not have beaten Brian's record, so they say, mm-hmm. you know, or what he finished. Yeah. But that is incredible. But the advances in, I guess, the the manufacture of the bicycles and and everything, you know, making it more lightweight, I'm sure that's helping a lot. What... I just found out um, through the museum is that in 1974, I just heard from this guy, Ted Wathern, he did the Continental Divide Trail from, at that time, Jasper to Juarez, Mexico in 1974. And when you look at the picture of his bike leaning against what used to, what is now this building, but was a paint store at the time, I mean, it was heavy. It was clunky. There was a lot of equipment on it, and he did it. In 74, and I can't imagine any of these people being able to do what this guy did. So he's actually writing it up on a paper, and I should be getting in the next couple days or something. Hmm. Find out the whole story. Yeah, just on the nutrition front, I'd be really curious to know what, I don't know, if this info even exists, what riders of that day would be taking with them to sustain themselves. Well, definitely, because we're bantering back and forth, I'm definitely going to ask him. And when he did that trip in 74, he met only one rider on the entire trip. And that was somewhere below the Canada border. And then they think they went all the way down 
into Colorado or something, and they rode together. It was just the two of them, and then that guy took off to Detroit, and he continued on to the Mexican border, and he never saw another rider again. So it was like the first two guys that ever attempted this. Wow. So, yeah, I can't wait to read his story. I'll give you a copy of it when I get it. Cool. So when folks come through here with... I don't, I don't know if anyone's bike's not making a noise by the time they get here. Um, so if they have mechanicals, are you shuttling them anywhere? Like, are they nope. asking for those sorts of things? Nope. Yeah. Um, the only type of shuttles that sometimes they'll get is if they bypass this and they've gotten to Lincoln and blew a tire. Yeah. And then somebody will bring them over here, take them back to the starting point, you know, for a mechanical like that. Um, some of the most creative MacGyvered tires came through here this year. Uh, basically, duct tape tires and... Um, I saw zip, zip ties. Yeah, zip, two zip ties tires mm. came in. I mean, it was... The bulge in this one guy's tire was so immense, and I don't know how he made it, but he said he was sweating bullets the whole time. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've got 29ers were first picks. Everybody's got 29-inch tires now. And so they were very happy to see him here. But it is amazing what they're limping in on. Hmm. And so when they get the mechanicals and they're across the street, they can get air and they do their own work because, let's face it, none of us here really totally understand them anyway. Yeah. And um, so, no, we don't help in that. We'll have the supplies for them, but they have to have the tools and the knowledge. And we're living vicariously through these guys. We're watching their dots and we're listening to their stories and and. God, I would love to think that someday I'm going to try something like this. It's sort of like I also am extremely interested in Everest climbers. You know, I watch them and I keep thinking, God, I would love to go to base camp someday. Um, but this is, I don't know, like, what is it? Mark Divot gave me his book, and uh, I've been reading that, and it just, you can kind of live through the whole thing about going down you know, through the TDR, and it's just something I would love to try and do, even just a portion of it someday. Mm. So, you know, I'm living vicariously through everybody. Can't do it myself, so I'll just listen to all your stories. Are there any, uh, you know, younger kids in town that kind of see this and get the spark? I'll be honest with you. Um, our population here probably averages in the 50s. Yeah. So we have young, we don't have a lot of young kids, but they do bicycle a lot. But every the kids around here, they're ranchers, you know, they're ranch kids for the most part. Yeah. So it's hard to look beyond that. Um, I would like to think that they, if nothing else, if it just gets them to be outside and active, and stay in shape and stay healthy, then that's huge. Yeah. And out out here, outdoors is everything. You know, look yeah. where we live. So we've we've heard all of this great stuff that you and the, the community has done for the event and, and riders just coming through touring. What kind of what kind of ways have the riders reciprocated? Oh. You know, I, I'm looking at the floor right now. There's a <laughs> a, a framed um, my call my call my call poster. We're not quite sure where it came from, but we'll find out. Yeah. Um. It is amazing to me how appreciative cyclists are. Um, I've been asked them so many, you know, times why um, why'd you guys get into this? There are other towns that don't get into this, and I keep telling them it sounds kind of selfish. But the money you earn from a cyclist, a dollar you earn from them, is a dollar you wouldn't have earned. Yeah. And 
they are the most appreciative people because they come in here and they're hungry, they're tired, exhausted, and all they want is some food and a place to lay their head maybe for a little bit and some encouragement. And they'll give you the shirt off their back, literally, you know, an appreciation. I had another writer come through today and he just slipped some money for the Ovando Improvement Fund. And he goes, thanks for the webcam. I enjoyed watching it. You know, I've had um, the cyclists who basically scratched earlier on and they just came through just to sit there and see what Ovando looked like. And in the event that someday they come back and go fishing or bring their kids on vacation, you know, that's awesome. I had a lady from Hawaii show up a couple of years ago and she'd done the TDR a long time ago. And she sat here and used my computer one day and she goes, I'm coming back. And dang, two years later, she came back with all of her family for a week's vacation in the Blackfoot. And, um, oh, okay, so what else do they do? Um, Nick Legan from um, Adventure Cyclist magazine dropped off. a. He sent me a box last uh, winter full of just things, of jerseys, hats, uh, pedals, just uh, two you know, tires that maybe been used once. And he said, this is for the divide, and any money you can get, just put towards the Ovando Improvement Fund. I mean, I don't even, I find it astounding how generous these people really are. It's mind-boggling. I mean, they're all, I don't know, they're so gracious about everything. I think you've hit the the right nerve there. Like, I get it, you get it. You know, I think I've seen it from both sides, and if I lived in a town like this on route, you know, I'd probably be doing all the same things. Um, so yeah, it, it baffles me when we go through smaller towns and it just seems like they have no clue, right? We're, we're happy to use, you know, a grocery store or whatever, but you just think that it would have showed up on their radar by this point. Yeah. I've adventure cycling in Missoula has asked me to speak to some small towns to, you know, chamber of commerce and stuff. And, you know, I know Condon's trying to get a bike uh, park up there. However, we're lucky. We're in this little thing called Powell County, and we have no real permitting needs. And if I need a restroom, I'm putting up an outhouse that gets taken care of once a week by the company. Condon and Missoula County, it's not that easy. Yeah. They have to have a full septic system. Hmm. Uh, we can get away with a lot in a very small county. So there are some roadblocks to some people doing it. But the thought that you've you know, have a laundromat. I mean, I know one town that had one, they took it out. It's not warm and friendly. Yeah. So we put one in across the street. <laughs> yeah. so, it's, so go ahead. <laughs> okay. So how, this, this is a good place to end, I think. How, okay. So this Ovando Improvement Fund, what it, is it for a particular project? Is it just, tell us a little bit about it. The Ovando Improvement Fund was first started um, just to get some improvements to town. Uh, we had we have a little park across the street. It's got some nice little flowering trees and a bench on it and grass area. It used to be nothing but gravel. And I think it was several years ago I heard somebody on a phone giving directions, and they said, you'll find the Blackfoot Angler on the other side of the market across that gravel. You know, And I looked outside and I went, oh, that is rather ugly. So we started raising some money to put a park in there. And then we started raising some money to get street signs. And then we started raising money for the cyclists to, to get the teepee and buy a new teepee and for getting the Hooskow put in place 
And, um, you know, the money went to getting little LED lanterns for all of them and mirrors and, you know, just some little niceties. It went to, it just goes to the improvement of Ovando as a viable town. Um, it's, you know, I didn't, have, the Vando Improvement Fund didn't buy it, but we were prepared to. And that was putting these signs up in the, um, when you first come into town right off the highway, it says population 50, dogs over 100. <laughs> Um, you know, elevation 4,200. Um, the Improvement Fund also redid the entire Ovando, Montana website. And there's a big cycle-friendly chapter in there. And so it's now compatible with smartphones, which 10 years ago, there wasn't much of a smartphone market going on. It just had a regular old cheap website. And so now that's just totally been redone for, you know, close to $2,000. So the money raised goes to marketing Ovando and helping others enjoy their stay here. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to put out a personal challenge. So for for folks that are, don't live around this area and can't drop off money, <laughs> how is there a way to do it? Make a donation online. Is it, is it best to send a check? Okay, we, we're not that technologically <laughs> evolved. We just went smartphones good on the, the web. So uh, This we is Kathy's first podcast, by the way. <laughs> yeah, my first podcast. Um, and Josh, he didn't bite. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, basically, you know, they can s- send a check or if they're just passing through. I hate asking for money. I really no, that, that's why I'm um, doing it. So, yeah, you can send it to Box 84, Ovando, Montana, 59854. It's a small enough town if you put it towards the, you know, if you make it to the community fund or Kathy or the Blackfoot Angler, it's going to find me anyway. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's it's all for the good of Ovando. And I, it's not tax deductible. I tried that, but they said we couldn't because we are supported by the county. Yeah. <coughs> we get a lot of money from the county not so that's why we have this because we we want to look nice we want to have street signs we want to have sure we want to have fun things lettering that says you're in Ovando and we'll see you know every year somebody comes up with a brilliant idea in fact this year um, we're trying to get water and electricity to the park so the cyclists can go down there and actually have a you know water and something to plug their their smartphones into so that's the next that's the next money spent so for for the generation that never has cash on them, can I give you a credit card to to take some money? Oh, or? send me a check then. Okay. Yeah, yeah, credit card with that. Then we have to sit there and deduct the money for the use of the credit cards. And... All right. Well, in in the in the episode notes, I'll, I'll include all this information. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I'm going to put it out there that I'm going to send. I don't know. I'm going to have to get a U.S. check. Because uh, if I send you fifty dollars Canadian, it's just like paperweight again. So I'm gonna send you a check for fifty US, and I challenge everyone else that's listening. Oh God, thank if you, you if you've been through Ovando, let's do this. Let's get water, oh, electricity yeah. to Ovando. We get a community hall, and then we could put up beds in the community hall, and everybody sleep in there. Yeah, for, the, for those of us that show up at midnight. There you go. Open doors all the time. All right, thanks, Kathy. It's hey, been great. thanks, Fred. I really appreciate this.